passion drives, let reason hold the reins. Welcome to another Momentary Mindfulness. Maybe this is your first time listening. Maybe it's been a while. If so, the last few weeks, I've talked a little bit about it, about how I wanted to go over this book that really, and it it really, for lack of a better term, just kind of awakened some stuff inside of me and help me realize and understand myself. And, you know, even though the book is, uh, the book is called the happiness hypothesis. And, uh, and I'm, I'm not like, this isn't like sponsored. I know I say that every time, but I just didn't want people to think that I was like picking this book because I was like invested in it in some other way, but just enjoying it. And, um, so anyways, yeah, the last couple of weeks I talked about how I've been wanting to go through this book and Man, I hadn't opened it up in a while. I forgot it was like 23 pages for the first chapter. <laughs> and normally these are only like, you know, five or 10 minutes long of me rambling. So I'm like, well, definitely not going to be able to get to every little part of this book. So if you want to read along, catch up, listen along, you can probably find the book pretty much anywhere. It's a pretty popular book. It's by Jonathan Haddit, Hate It, Hate It, Had It. H-A-I-D-T I think it's had it I probably should figure that out if I'm going to freaking read this book for the next few weeks <laughs> but anyways yeah the happiness hypothesis finding modern truth and ancient wisdom and it really is an incredible book and uh, like I said it really changed me a lot when I first read it and so it's been pretty cool to go back through it and yeah let's get started you know the chapter one is called the divided self and it talks a lot about how we are like a person riding an elephant and there's these two different versions of ourselves. and uh let's see let's just go through it and see what i can uh come up with i got a bunch i under, underlined so you know it go, he go he starts out really there's a breaking down of what we are as people and really a small encap- encapsulation of like different philosophies right so he goes through you know buddha and plato and freud and all these different, uh, you know, theories exact, and then he kind of starts breaking it down into what parts are divided, like mind versus body, and uh, you know, left versus right brain, kind of flipping through because there is some points that I really want to hone in on. Uh, the third was new versus old. Let's see. The fourth division was controlled versus automatic, and this is actually where I'd like to. St- maybe hone in a little bit for a while. Um, because after reading this, I begin to really realize like how many things in my life were kind of happening from an automatic place and not a, not a, my conscious controlling type place, the place that we're able to actually perceive the future, etc. You know, uh, our body and, uh, the automatic side of us is always kind of in the present. It's in the background. It's the computing power. It's, it's what's been here since, you know, the dawn of DNA essentially. <laughs> so first the controlled process, right? It's, it's limited. We can think consciously about one thing at a time only, but automatic processes run in parallel and can handle many tasks at once. That's really the big difference here. And if the mind performs hundreds of operations each second, all but one of them must be handled automatically. So I love that. That was just a little tiny part I under, underlined in the book. But it, it kind of goes back to that whole idea that, you know, to focus on one thing is to fall 
uh, blind to everything else, right? And so that's really kind of what your consciousness is doing at all at all moments. It's it's focused on some little tiny piece of of the whole of of the infinity of your consciousness of your reality, and uh, and then the automatic side of you is taking care of the rest, so that you actually have that freedom to be a, to be able to think freely. Now, automatic processes, on the other hand, have been through thousands of cycles and versions of us, right? Uh, and there's really a huge difference in maturity here versus our control process. It's uh, it's it helps us really explain, uh, explain, I should say, why we have expensive computers that solve logic, math, and chess problems better than any human beings can. But on the other hand, robots, no matter how costly at this moment can't walk through the woods as well as the average six-year-old child, right? Our perceptual uh, motor systems are just superb. So the controlled system allows people to think about long-term goals. You know, it allows you to escape from the tyranny of the here and now, the automatic triggering of temptation by the sight of tempting objects. People can imagine alternatives that are not visually present. We can weigh long-term health risk against pleasant pleasures, right? We know if we're going to eat this cake, right, that it's going to give me calories, that it could create inflammation in my body, or if I smoke this cigarette or drink this beer or whatever the case may be, right, we can actually conceptualize, you know, what this is going to do for us in the future. And that's really what the controlled mind is allowed to do because the automatic mind has freed us up to be able to do it. So really, when you go back and you look at the the person sitting on the elephant, right? Our controlled mind, the, the little guy up top sitting on this giant automatic system called the elephant. You have to realize that we're not really in control, right? We're we're not, uh, you know, the the king or the president. We're more of like an advisor, maybe even a servant to this bigger thing that's kind of happening in the background. But it's nice to know that about yourself, to know that there's so much more going on. And, and really, I think that the first part of this book in this first chapter is what this is all about, to really begin to show you all the different things that's happening with you as a human and the thing that you call an experience. And that's what I love so much about this book and really even the beginning of this book, because it really begins to lay down the groundwork for how you can begin to understand yourself, which is ultimately the most important thing to begin to understand this reality is to understand your inner, right? Because it's all happening there anyways. So the better we can understand that, the better we can live our lives. I also love, I mean, it gets into a bunch of different things, man. I could just, like I said, 23 pages. Talks about the failures of self-control, mental intrusions, which this one was huge for me. Uh, you know, because there was a time in my life where I was really dealing with this, where there was these thoughts that would just continue to come up and I was having a hard time processing them. And it's so cool because it even breaks it down into this like white bear uh, analogy where it's like, you know, if someone were to be like, don't think about a white bear, you 
actually end up thinking about it more, right? Because your mind and the automatic mind begins to check if you're thinking about the white bears. So it's like there's this underlining thing underneath it all that even if you're trying to divert that control, you've already set up a process for your automatic body to take over and begin to go, well, is he still thinking about the white bear? Uh, what about now? What about now? You know, and and that's where really intrusive thoughts can can come from, you know? And so when we have these disturbing thoughts in our mind, you know, we try to go, we try to not think about them, and it ends up just kind of becoming bigger. And this was just a huge part in the book for me because it, it really helped me to understand that it wasn't the devil or something evil that was making me think these things. It was just uh, it was a shocking thought that bubbled up into my consciousness, and my automatic systems didn't know how to handle it. You know, and I had to I had to work through that process. And so for me. That was just such a, that was probably one of the biggest, biggest parts, even though it's one of the smallest parts in this chapter uh, that really affected me and allowed me to uh, have some, some compassion towards myself for having such intrusive thoughts that I didn't like, that I knew that they weren't me. And uh, I began to realize that this was much bigger than me. It wasn't just my conscious mind. It was so many different variables and it kind of, you know, weakens the blow when you have things happen in your life, the more you can begin to understand why, right? And um, so I think it'd be fun to end by reading this last little part I underlined towards the back end. Our minds are loose confederations of parts, but we identify with and pay too much attention to one part, conscious verbal thinking. We are like the proverbial drunken man looking for his car keys under the street light. Did you drop them over there? Asked the cop. No, says the man. I dropped them back there in the alley, but the light is better over here. Because we can see only one little corner of the mind's vast operation. We are surprised when urges, wishes, and temptations emerge seemingly from nowhere. We make pronouncements, vowels, and resolutions, and then are surprised by our own powerlessness to carry them out. We sometimes fall into the view that we're fighting with our consciousness, or our id, or our animal self, but really, we're the whole thing. We are the rider, and we are the elephant. That's it for me. I hope you are enjoying this little bit of a change to momentary mindfulness gives me something to focus on for a few weeks if you haven't gotten the book and you want to get the book if you don't want to next week chapter two is called changing your mind so i'm excited to crack that one open with you i hope you have a wonderful week peace and love digital friends peace and love <laughs>